My name is Andrew Bustamante, and this is Everyday Espionage. I'm so excited to be in the middle of this briefing sequence where we are digging in to how to dominate information. And a big piece of why I'm so excited to talk about this is because I don't have to talk about this alone. I get a chance to include one of the most respected voices, another former officer that I I loved working with in the field and now I get to love working with every day of our life because she's my wife. So Jihee, welcome back. I'm super excited to have you here for the Team Spy, the first Team Spy briefing that we're having in this information season. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for that very romantic introduction. (laughs) (laughs) So, So I just spent the last two episodes introducing folks not only to our our rotation, our briefing rotation, which is what we always did when we were on deployment, but also this idea that we can find truth even when we're surrounded by noise and even when information is thrown at us by information peddlers and people who have a voice but shouldn't have a voice or have a voice, should have a voice, but then don't necessarily respect the information that they're throwing at us. And then we also talked about this concept of fallacies and biases, where fallacies are flaws in logic that come from arguments that are thrown at us, and biases are flaws in logical thinking that actually exist within us. But let's talk about what we're going to cover today. Where, where do you want to take this first team spy? So I wanted to delve into uh, one specific fallacy and one specific bias that correspond to each other, and it's something we see every single day. It's something we experience ourselves every single day. And it's particularly important right now as tons of information is being thrown at us. And in this day and age where lots of divisive information is being thrown at us. In the middle of an election sequence. Exactly. A a season where a new president is being chosen, as well as in the middle of a global pandemic. Right. So you have very divided opinions on both sides about everything from the virus to who should be president. And then you also have these uh, these parties at play, whether it's slanted media or whether it's foreign intelligence services that are trying to influence us, there's all this information out there, good, bad, ugly, what can be trusted, what can't be trusted, but all of it seems to have some sort of spin, some sort of objective other than just giving us fact. Right. And what everybody's trying to do, what everybody's trying so hard to do is get to the facts. What's right. being thrown at us is facts mingled with opinion mingled with influence and what we all just want are the facts. Yeah, and you've you've obviously made a career out of finding facts that were relevant operationally, tangibly, tactically and strategically. So where where should we start right now with this conversation about finding the facts in the overwhelming information? So, I what I wanted to talk about today was the bandwagon fallacy and the confirmation bias. Oh, those are awesome. Two two related, almost cousins. Right. A bias and a fallacy. I love it. Go ahead. So the bandwagon fallacy is when information is given to you and the information is making a conclusion about what they're saying, basically saying, you know, this must be true because many or most people believe it. It's like when you hear a poll and they say, you know, 60% of people prefer this candidate. Or, you know, the 
president has a 40% approval rating. And therefore, the country doesn't want him to be president. Correct. That's an awesome example. So yeah, here we're discussing fallacy, which means an argument that's presented to us from outside. Right. And its primary source of logical support is empirical evidence that we have no idea how it was collected. So it could be a made-up statistic. Right. It could be a small sample size that comes to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. But essentially, the fallacy itself, that bandwagon fallacy is that my argument must be true because many people seem to think it's true. Right. Right. So it's not based in logic. It's not based in fact. It's based in this connection between... Uh, perceived volume, if you will, uh, the there is more water in that cup than there is in this cup. Uh, but where that is something you can see and touch and feel with a bandwagon fallacy, that fallacy kicks in because information cannot be immediately verified. Right. Just because a lot of people believe something doesn't mean that there's evidence to prove that that is true. I mean, there was a day and age when many people believed the earth was flat, but there was that can't be used as evidence to prove that the earth is flat. So one of the examples that comes to mind right away is when George W. Bush was elected for the second time. He was an incumbent president with a 48% approval rating going into the election day. Mm -hmm. So here it was where information was telling us that less than half of the country wanted him to be president. Therefore, there was no way he was going to be elected. The same thing happened again with Donald Trump in 2016. But what's interesting to me is the more appropriate comparison is really incumbent president, because that's what everyone's wondering about now. Is the incumbent president going to win the election with a 41% approval rating as of today? And again, where does that rating come from? Who are the people answering the poll? Who are the people leading the polls? Um, if, if the numbers hold true that I understand, 6% of all people who are being polled, all targets all the people targeted for a poll, only 6% respond. So that's 6% of the total target volume. And then those people who do respond are are uh, generally leaning one way or another because they're taking the time and they have the time to kind of voice their opinion on a poll call. Right. It's just in the end, it's not enough. It's a fallacy because it's not enough evidence to prove that that statement being given to us is true. So what's the cousin to the bandwagon fallacy. I think you called it the confirmation bias. Correct. Tell us about that one. So the confirmation bias is an internal bias. It's our own tendency to search for, to interpret, to favor, and to more immediately recall information that confirms or supports our prior beliefs or values. I love that. So the, again, we, we talked about how the bias is internal. Right. The fallacy is external. Correct. The fallacy is an argument given to us, mm -hmm. but the bias is how we choose to interpret the information. So here with confirmation bias, we are choosing to give increased value, increased credibility, increased authority to information solely because it confirms our existing belief. If I believe in aliens and then I get <laughs> yeah. someone who tells me they saw you know, an awesome show about aliens, right away I'm going to think that person's right. I'm going to think that show is awesome. I'm going to want to go see it. Similarly, if I don't believe in extraterrestrial life, as soon as somebody tells me they saw a great show about aliens, I'm going to think that person's weird. That person's crazy. I can't <laughs> believe they believe in aliens. Right. And I mean, the confirmation bias is, is the thing that drives us to pick the news sources that we pick. Because 
If a news source is telling you information that goes against your own beliefs and values, are you going to listen to it? Mm. You're probably not going to take the time to listen to that because it doesn't correspond with things that you already believe or value. So you're going to pick the news stations that confirm what you already believe and value. We just had this. There was just a massive story that broke in August about in early August about this um, uh, from an MSNBC producer, Ariana Pacari. And she wrote a scathing notes resigning from MSNBC and in that she actually calls out this phenomenon that you're talking about she calls out the flawed way that networks are rated so they try to get ratings basically by pandering to an audience that is coming back to that same channel over and over again looking for a certain message so if so according to those producers the the producers in that channel they didn't want to give new information outside of what the audience already expected or believed because that would reduce ratings so to secure or increase ratings they just doubled down on the existing set of beliefs so they started feeding information msnbc according to ariana pacari was was actually presenting information presenting news that they knew would foster and support the belief sets of the audience they already had rather than presenting them with news that was new or informative or engaging or educational that might change uh, the way they think using true fact. Right. And she was saying that it's not just MSNBC, it's all commercial broadcast news industry, that this is something that's very common that's been going on for quite some time now. That's interesting. Um, When did it all start? Is there any evidence that there was kind of like a turning point? Yeah, so in, uh, in 1949, the, there was something called the Fairness Doctrine that was passed. And the Fairness Doctrine required broadcasters equal to treatment give of information. equal treatment to competing yep. points of view. Yep. And that's why when we think of news back in the day, you know, it was fair and it was balanced and it was truthful because it was required by law, by regulation, to be. In 1987, the Fairness Doctrine was abolished. And suddenly you see an explosion of talk shows on the radio, talk shows that were pandering to one specific point of view because they knew that they could get higher ratings by zeroing in on one specific group that believed in in specific things than trying to cater to everybody and being fair and balanced. And then by doubling down and focusing on that one theme of information... It would also offer them strategic advantages in marketing and advertisement sales because now you already know exactly who you have on the call. You know who's listening to the radio, who's watching the TV show, and you can kind of tailor the ad to what the content is. Is it, is it, is it a show talking about the end of the world? Well, great. Let's throw in an advertisement about an emergency radio and about uh, the importance of guns and about you know why you should build a bunker in your backyard. Right. So they started to move away from journalistic reporting and started to lean more on opinion because they could bring in more money that way. It was more lucrative to report that way. So talk shows came, you know, came about and, you know, then they started, you know, cable news networks exploded. And so now you have all the the talk shows on the cable news networks. 87, you said, right? So that's like the Howard Stern, Rush Limbaugh. I think even Oprah started around that same time period. Talk shows start taking over. They become the foundation of why people go to a certain network. And then everything that happens on a talk show is opinion. Right. I see how this works. And then you can see how that has grown over time, too. Yes. Because you went from the Howard Stern's Rush Limbaugh's, the crazy, well, I guess you haven't, you're, we're still hearing Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. <laughs> we're still hearing from <laughs> Oprah, right? But then in the late 90s, we started seeing new giant personalities appear. Right. 
So people like, I mean, you know, they're definitely not news sources, but people like Jerry Springer. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> I remember my college days. <laughs> Dr. Phil. <laughs> I, and it's funny because when you talk about the importance of of how the audience responds to those shows, nobody was watching those shows to learn something new. Nobody was even watching those shows to feel sympathy or to have any kind of connection to the person on the stage. They were watching those shows to have something to talk about and laugh at the next day at work. And honestly, I think we watch shows about other people's misery so that we can check and balance ourselves and say, you know what? My life isn't that jacked up. My dad doesn't belong to the KKK or my, you know, my sister didn't, you know, end up marrying a, a mail order husband from Uzbekistan. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that you saw on Dr. Phil and Jerry Mm -hmm. Springer. Or maybe you could relate to it and you were like, hey, I'm not the only one. one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's that. But I love that. That's so fascinating. So we have shown the relationship between fallacy and bias. We've given this very powerful example of these two related bias fallacy partners, right? The confirmation bias and its cousin, the bandwagon fallacy. And just to recap, right? If you'll re- mm-hmm. Can you recap both for us? Just I've been taking us on a side tangent, getting excited. But can you just <laughs> give us the truth about these two again in a recap? Yeah. So the bandwagon fallacy is a fallacy. So it comes from the outside, right? So it's, it's, a, it's somebody making an argument as if it were a logical argument, but it's, it doesn't work because it's making its con- it's basing its conclusion off of popular belief. Off of popular belief. That's the bandwagon fallacy. Right, which is not evidence. Popular right. belief in something is not evidence. It's not proof yeah. that something is true or exists. And you can't even prove that it is popular because you don't see yes. the information that was collected. Exactly. And then the confirmation bias, its cousin? And then the confirmation bias is its internal counterpart. And it's our tendency to search for, interpret, favor, or more immediately recall information that confirms or supports your beliefs and values. That's awesome. So here you have two tools that are actively being used, right? You've got a fallacy that's being used against us intentionally because polls, media sources, uh, advertisers understand that if they tell us that something is predominantly true, and if they have some kind of number that shows us 51% of people like this or approved by 99% of moms, right? Mm -hmm. If they show us that, then there's going to be this bandwagon fallacy that drives us to conclude that the argument is true. So that is being used against us every day right now. Then you've got this confirmation bias, which is already at work inside us. Mm -hmm. And that's important because the same advertisers, the same politicians, the same pollsters understand that we are all prone to a confirmation bias. So they structure their advertising. They structure what content they put on what channels. The news even structures what news it shares because it knows that we will give more credibility and more authority to something that is already in line with how we think, how we believe, how we feel. So both this fallacy and this bias are being actively used against us. And if we understand them, then we're one step closer to mastering information. Right, because once you're aware that the information being given to you is about affirming your own beliefs, they know what their audience is. They know that you are watching and what you believe in. Otherwise, you wouldn't be watching their channel. So because they know that, they give you information to continue affirming your own beliefs. And it's up to you to, number one, be aware of it. And number two, 
check and balance that. So pick another news station that has opposing viewpoints so you can get at least a balanced viewpoint. You Dig know. into the numbers. Exactly. And um, the research, the source of information behind the poll. Right. Choose a more neutral, factual information source. Change the channel and watch yeah. a different show. <laughs> Turn it off and read, the, <laughs> read a newspaper. <laughs> but either way, by taking control of the information that's coming in, and then by diversifying your sources so that you have you can combat that confirmation bias, you can combat or offset the bandwagon fallacy, you are putting yourself in a position where you are one step ahead of everyone else, you are controlling the content that's coming at you, and you are able to objectively assess and reach your own conclusion. And that is Everyday Espionage. Everyday Espionage is dedicated to one thing educating everyday people. I know that not everyone will listen, but those who listen will learn. If you learned something new today, click subscribe, review, and share the podcast with a friend. Find me on social media at Everyday Spy or on my website, everydayspy.com. If you are up for a special challenge, visit everydayspy.com forward slash operations and join me for an authentic spy training mission. And above all else, remember that knowledge is freedom.